For the week of June 15th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with behavioral specialist Robin Chancer about how to cope in the era of Trump. And then, of course, we will have our weekly call to action. So before I begin, I want to start by acknowledging the victims of Wednesday's horrific shooting of members of Congress and their staff. It's an unspeakable act, and the news of it is something that everyone is still struggling to absorb. It's actually hard to take in what is happening in our world right now. Pretty much every day seems to bring news of something that we just can't process, that we can't believe we're actually living through. Every single person I know who is active in the Indivisible movement has had to take a break from time to time because it just gets to be too much. It's something that I have been referring to on the show as outrage overload, which is it's pretty self-explanatory. And actually, Michael Nash, head of NCW United over near Wenatchee, contacted me about a month or so back to talk about doing a show on volunteer burnout because... Let's face it, some days it seems like no matter what we do, no matter how hard we push, nothing is changing. So I got in touch with a behavioral scientist named Robin Chancer, who wrote an article for politicsmeanspolitics.com about how to cope and carry on in the age of Trump. I have posted the article on the SoundCloud page for you to check out, and I do recommend that you do. It is a quick and a great read. So one of the coping mechanisms that she talks about is a precept called radical acceptance. And I asked her to define specifically what she means by that. I understand radical acceptance as accepting what is, coming to terms with what is without fighting against it or wishing it were otherwise. It's, it's a skill we use in situations where we have little control or things that have happened in the past, where no matter how much we wish it weren't so, we can't change it. The best we can do is allow it to be and to work with what is now, to work with what is left. And that does not mean at all that we're condoning it or that we're liking it. It just means that we're allowing it. We're no longer fighting against it. This is my world now, and that's what I have to live. And you distinguish within the context of radical acceptance between pain and suffering. What is the difference as you see it between pain and suffering as you define them? Yes. Well, pain and suffering as outlined by uh, dialectical behavior therapy, which is where many of these ideas come from, which was started by Marsha Linehan. Um, She distinguishes between pain and suffering that pain is something we cannot control. I can't control if I break my leg, but suffering is what happens as a result of our response to that pain. So if I fight against that pain, if I spend my energy thinking, I wish that this weren't the case, I wish I could change this, what if this hadn't happened? What if I hadn't gone down that road and gotten hit by that car and broken my leg, then what? If my energy is there, then I am suffering even more. My pain has turned from uh, the reality of what is to my suffering about it, my thoughts about it. So in other words, in that in, in this particular instance, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, what if we had, say, for example, nominated Bernie instead of Hillary? Or what right. if, you know, the uh, Hillary had gone to Michigan and Wisconsin and the Democrats had put more money there? And, and you're saying that that kind of thinking right now is not only not serving us, but it's counterproductive. 
Exactly. The more our mental energy is there, the less energy we have to plan what we're going to do now, to plan mm-hmm. our next move. So acceptance can lead to grief. Uh, how do you navigate that? Right. So if we, if we allow ourselves to accept that this is our reality now, that Trump is our president, and these are the attacks that he is promoting on our institutions, on so many things we believe in, in our country, if we allow ourselves to accept that that's the case, there is a lot of sadness there. There's a lot of grief, I think, that will happen, yeah. that this is what we're living, that much of what we have fought for is now being attacked, and some of it is being broken down. We have to allow ourselves to grieve that. If we accept what is, we have to face some really hard realities. And there is, there is a lot of good, I think, in allowing that grief process to happen, to say, yes, this is awful. Yes, this is very sad. I'm going to let myself feel that. I'm going to let myself feel how sad this is. If I need to cry, if I need to look for support, if I need to have moments of silence every time some new terrible thing happens, there is a lot of good in that. Once we do that, once we get through that process, we allow the waves of the sadness to come and to go in unimpeded without being blocked by our uh, desire to stop them. That's how grief naturally happens. It comes and it goes. And if we, don't, if we don't block it up, if we don't try to get out of it, it will rise and it will fall and then it will be sort of through our system in a way. It'll be, we'll reach a new sense of peace. Of, I went through the wave and now what? Now I'm going to think about what to do next. Now I'm going to think about how to rebuild, what to make of my life now that this loss has happened. You know, that's the, the precepts of Buddhism are, are pretty evident in, in your piece, particularly with the concept of mindfulness, which is essentially what we're talking about here. And most people are familiar with the concept. Anybody who's meditated, done, say, Zen meditation or Vipassana, gets the idea of being present. But I just want to make this distinction a little bit clearer for people. So if somebody is present with pain and they're acknowledging mm-hmm. at pain— how does one keep that from turning the corner and becoming suffering? Right. So being mindful with pain can actually be, be really helpful. If I am in physical or emotional pain and I'm being mindful, I might sit with that and allow myself to feel it in a, in a non-judgmental way. I can feel the texture of it, feel the intensity of it. I can allow it to be, in a way, take almost a friendly, compassionate stance toward it, a curious stance. And as I do that, if I might gain insights about it. I might see that it changes depending on my attention to it. I might, I might see that it brings me new insights, new wisdom that I can work with. So pain is something we naturally want to get out of, but the more we try to get out of it, often the more it sticks around. But if I allow myself to embrace it and to feel it, I might find that I can use it for something good. And in fact, another aspect to that is the way in which one might process pain that creates a story that doesn't serve. And in your piece, you allude to this. Suffering really has a lot to do with our interpretation of pain. And that's always based right. in a story, right? Yes. That's, that's how human beings work. It's, it's a natural process. We have the facts, the situation. The interpretations about those facts, which are the stories we tell ourselves, which creates the majority of our emotional life. And we need to learn to see the difference between the facts and the stories we're telling ourselves about those facts. Usually, our outrage and our suffering happens when reality is at odds with our stories. 
with our ideas of how the world should be, of how things are going to work out. Let's take a very specific example then and see if you can help us walk through it. So in the wake of the most recent terrorist attacks in London, and it pains me that I have to say most recent to uh, to distinguish right. it, but uh, yeah, once again, that is the reality we're living in. Uh, so Nigel Farage, he is the uh, British political figure, the British nationalist who supported Brexit, said in an interview on Fox News that he believes that internment camps for all Muslims in the West are now necessary. So what we have now is a grown man in a suit on one of this country's major news outlets. I mean, granted, it's it's Fox News, but still in the year 2017, saying that he believes that we need to round up a population of people in the United States by their religion and put them in camps. And it's uh-huh. unspeakably horrific to hear those words. Help us right. reframe this. So if I go through this process myself about that, my initial response is a visceral emotional one. I feel sick. I feel I feel a heaviness in my chest. I feel the rise and fall of outrage and sadness about that. And I might sit with that for a second and accept it, that yes, this is horrible. It is shocking. It's almost unbelievable that someone could say something like that. And then if I move forward in my grief and allow myself to accept it, I'll say to myself, okay, so this is what we're working with. This is the reality we're working with, that many people, outspoken people, people in power, believe these things. And I have to come to terms with that, that that is my reality now. And then my mindfulness, my next step would be to focus my attention on what is immediate and helpful. The way I think of mindfulness is shifting our attention. It's the art of shifting attention to something immediate and something helpful. So if I'm being mindful, I might say, okay, if this is the world I'm living in, what now? What do I do now? What is within my control that I can do? And I'll start planning. I'll start, I'll start brainstorming and thinking, okay, I could reach out to the Muslim community in my area. I could start building coalitions with other people who are like-minded. I could run for office. I could start mm-hmm. supporting people who are running for office. Right. Uh, I could... Uh, make a lot of phone calls, and I, I use ResistBot almost every time. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone. People yeah, love it. Yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> I'll send a fax to someone. So I'll, I'll get focused on what I'm going to do about it. I don't allow myself to stay in the outrage for too long because I don't find that helpful. I try to shift it to what I can do. And when I do that, if I focus on that, the rewards of that will feed my soul. I may meet people who uh, lift me up. I may see a difference in my community from what I'm doing. I might feel proud of myself for taking a stand. So the more I focus on my action, on, on the positive around me, I will, see, I will see light to balance out the outrage. That has been a silver lining in a lot of this is the people that have come together um, in communities like Indivisible. Another passage in your piece details dialectical thinking. Uh, One of the things that you encourage people to acknowledge is our complexity as beings, meaning that we are capable of being, for example, both selfish and selfless. Tell us what that understanding can bring us. Right. Well, one thing that can perpetuate suffering is black or white thinking, to think I am good or I am bad, or as a country we are progressing or we're regressing where the truth is that as individuals and as a society, we are complex, we are textured and layered, and there are shades of gray everywhere. And so if we can allow ourselves to hold in our minds all of those truths, all those paradoxes, that our country is progressing and regressing, 
that human beings are selfish and selfless, it can help it can help bring down the intensity of the outrage to it can allow us to be more flexible, more open to the shades of gray, to the constant changing and evolving of us and our individuality and also of our society. Uh, I think if I start thinking, you know, this person is a terrible person or we are on the road to collapse or we are doing nothing but falling apart, I'll start to feel much worse. But if I can say to myself, there are pieces of everything here. There are pieces of horrors that are happening. And then there are pieces of wonderful things that are happening. If I look around me, I start to see all of those shades, all those colors. I was really encouraged after Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement. I was encouraged to see the 76 mayors around the country who have Yum. committed to the Paris Agreement, to see that Michael Bloomberg is willing to contribute enormous amounts of money to help developing countries around the world. If I'm looking for that, I'll see that there is there is a, a mix, a complex mix of paradox, both within myself and within my community of good and bad and everything in between that's happening right now. So there are some aspects of optimism that can serve, provided that you keep them in context. Right. I see it instead of optimism in the sense of predicting the future, I see it as focusing on the positive that is currently happening. Got it. That makes sense. Well, and speaking of uh, what you specifically do, you have a clinical practice and you work with people who are immigrants from Latin America, many of whom are under threat of being deported. How do you help them cope and reframe? I do see an enormous increase in fear and anxiety right now for a very good reason. And that has become a a focus of our work uh, with almost everyone I see. And the way that I try to help them cope with it is to focus hard on the mindfulness piece, to say, we don't know what's going to happen yet in the future. What we do know is that you're here right now. And right now you've got a team of people around you who are trying to help you. Attorneys, myself, a community. We are trying to build sanctuary and churches in the area. You have you have us. You've got a lot. And if something happens in the future that puts you even more at risk, we will deal with that then. But we, we don't benefit from living as if the worst is going to happen. We benefit from planning what we can, creating, creating the safety nets that we can, and then trying to be here right now. Because right here, right now, we're still okay. So speaking of things that you can do and, and actions that you can take, uh, as, as I said at the top of our interview, uh, many people who listen to this show are activists. And so their natural inclination in the face of outrage is to take action. But here we are 139 days in as of the recording of this. And after what seemed like countless protests and marches and millions and millions of people across the country and the world uh, turning out in record numbers and taking part in meaningful protest, it's sometimes very hard to see that anything is changing. Trump remains in office. The GOP uh, continues to be uh, the dominant power in Congress. And it's it can be very dispiriting. And people are quite naturally getting burnt out. How do you deal with that? I think we have to let go of our expectations of how this will play out. I think we, we all have our ideas of how soon it's supposed to happen and how, how our actions will affect the world around us, but we really don't know. All we know is that we're doing the best we can, and we, don't necessarily, we can't necessarily predict how that's all going to work out. Um, it may be that it's going to be a slower process than we thought. 
Yeah. It may be that it will be an imperfect process, and that might be something we have to accept. But I, I don't think our efforts are for nothing. I do see change happening. I see a country where people are far more engaged than they have been in my lifetime. I know I didn't know who the head of the EPA was until now. <laughs> I've never made so many phone calls. <laughs> right. A lot of us didn't know who our congressperson was either. So, yeah. Right. So I do think that this work that we're doing now is, is building a new foundation for our country that we can build on for decades to come. And it could be that in the long run, you know, we'll look back on this time and see that, oh, yeah, there, was, there were amazing coalitions that were built in this time. There were changes that were made that we didn't see come to fruition for decades. We, we have to let go of our, of our expectations for the future and focus on the work because we know that the work is the right thing to do. And I can also imagine that another silver lining might be that with everything that's happening right now, people are having very meaningful conversations about mental health issues, right? Yes, that's absolutely true. And I assume that you're seeing that probably in the context of your own practice, right? Yes. And I think, I think people are being kinder to each other, too, <laughs> than I've seen. <laughs> Just walking around my neighborhood, I see people making eye contact and smiling and occasionally, you know, putting up signs in their yard to support Black Lives Matter or whatever right. it may be. I think there's, there's a human connection that has been renewed because now we see how important it is. We see how quickly it can be taken away. Uh, we see how powerful it is to have hatred spewed on every channel. It makes, I think it's renewed our faith and our, our um, movement toward kindness and understanding of each other and civil discourse. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And I also really appreciate your insights in the article, which I'm going to share on the SoundCloud page. So uh, Robin Chancer, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we will wrap up today with this week's call to action. And it is one that's been overshadowed a bit by all of the various Russia investigations going on, but is every bit as important, some would say more so. And that is the Trump care bill that is quietly being rewritten by 13 senators, 13 male senators, I hasten to add. Uh, nobody really knows what's being cooked up there. But if it is any indication, when a Republican staffer was asked by a member of the press if the public might see the bill, the staffer replied, we're not stupid. And indeed, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is many things. Craven, utterly lacking in an ethical or moral compass, but he is not stupid. He is working very hard behind the scenes to wrangle the 50 votes he needs. And he only needs 50 because Pence will break the tie in the Republicans' favor. And many inside sources say that he is frighteningly close. He is trying to push it through before the July 4th holiday without having any public hearings on the bill and before the CBO score telling the public just how many millions of Americans will be stripped of their coverage is released. So what can we do? Well, we have a few tools at our disposal. One is to call each of our senators every single day on this. Senate offices around the country have reported a sharp drop off in call volume, uh, largely because the Comey and Sessions hearings, as well as reports that Robert Mueller is officially now investigating Trump for obstruction of justice, are taking up a lot of oxygen right now. We need to change that. 
The Indivisible Guide is calling for people to ask their senators to withhold consent by slowing down all business in the Senate. They can also do something called filibuster by amendment. And it goes like this. Because Trump care is being passed by reconciliation, which is why McConnell only needs 50 votes instead of the usual 60, the Republicans have to allow for an unlimited number of amendments. Ask our senators to plan on thousands of amendments until Republicans agree to have public hearings. The other thing that is happening across the state are sit-ins and die-ins. Indivisible Whidbey is devoting all of next week to health care and is organizing a 24-hour vigil in front of their only rural hospital, one that may be lost if Trump care passes. See if your Indivisible group has a die-in or vigil planned, and if they don't, Maybe you can organize one. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. So let's do everything we can to save affordable health care for millions of people in our country. And that is this week's Call to Action. And that will do it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. As always, please keep the emails coming. I love the thoughts and feedback. The address is WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Also, head over to our Facebook page, which you can find by, yes, searching for Washington State Indivisible Podcast in the search bar. Uh, We have lots more great stuff coming, and I would love to be able to let you all know about it. So do check that out. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to my guest, Robin Chancer, and thanks, as always, to you for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye.